Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman, and we are trudging through on this discussion, this ongoing discussion on evangelism. And man, we've covered a lot of stuff. I, I don't really even feel like rehashing it all. I've, I mean, hopefully you've been kind of following along sequentially, so you know what we've been talking about. Um, I mean, if not, this is this is in a sense this discussion that we're going to be having today. It's it's related to our discussions that we've been having on evangelism, but yet in a, in, a, in a way it kind of stands on its own. So today we're going to be talking about the relationship between the parachurch and the church, especially as it relates to evangelism, because the parachurch, in a sense, historically has been, uh, you know, focused on the work of evangelism uniquely. So parachurch, church relationships, tied to evangelism, it's it's all kind of together in a sense. So that's why we're having this parachurch-church discussion be related to our, our already previous discussions on evangelism. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, what is the parachurch? Is it biblical? Or do we see it in the Bible? Uh, you know, how would we define it? And then even in a sense, we're probably going to get into a little bit of a critique of what we see today in the parachurch. So there's all this stuff that's that's tied to this. And Dan has been, in a sense, been teasing it out a little bit. He's been talking about this this idea of the founder in McDonald's. He brought that up in our one of our last podcasts. So he's going to probably be uh, uh, talking about that a little bit more and, and fleshing that out a little bit more. Um, but that's that's what's on the docket for today. So hopefully it's a pretty, I, I know it's going to be a pretty engaging discussion. It's it, This stuff is fascinating to me. And it's really interesting, and it's a it's a really important discussion to have because most of us, you know, especially of us Christians who uh, went to college and undergrad university, we've had some experience with parachurch ministries. Almost inevitably, we've had some experience with them. Whether you got involved with a parachurch ministry, you know, as a leader or going on a, a mission trip with them or whatever it was. Uh, you at least have probably seen their presence on a campus in some form or another. So we all kind of have, in a sense, a little bit of a familiarity with with parachurch ministries. Um, but again, we're gonna we're gonna talk about them, flesh out a little bit. How does it relate to the church and all that stuff? So Dan's really the expert on this. <laughs> no, he doesn't <laughs> like me calling him an expert. But I mean, again. I, I'm young. I'm I'm too young to say that I really know this inside and out. But Dan, he's been thinking about this stuff for decades, um, which again, you know, that shows his age. But yeah, it's also helpful to know that uh, you know this isn't just uh, some young guy just trying to give his opinion. This is this is a. Uh, I mean, Dan. I'm talking about Dan here. He's been thinking about this for a while now, and so he has some really cool insight. And uh, I'm excited to hear what he has to say and to kind of educate me more on, on this parachurch church relationship. So I'm just going to hand the baton over to Dan and have him kind of start, you know, leading us through this and, and hopefully it'll just bring up some organic discussion and yeah. hopefully some cool, cool thoughts. So yeah, Dan, where do you, where do you want to start? Well, that's what I'm hoping is there'll be some uh, good organic discussion out of this. Um, let me just start with that term parachurch, because the minute mm. you say it, depending on who's listening, um, it's a connotation word. Let me just start with that. And if you don't know what connotation word means, it means like we put meaning into it. It's like it's these letters sitting here 
And some people hear it think, oh, it's the illegitimate bastard child, you know. It's just, you know <laughs> and and then if the local church was doing its job, it wouldn't need the parachurch. And yep, and yep. then other people who say, well, you know, the we need the parachurch. And there's all this discussion about the parachurch, okay. And so I want to give a little definition and kind of come to exactly. where I come to before I begin on that discussion, okay. And so, yep. so obviously parachurch you mentioned earlier we had a discussion offline you said paramedic okay yeah there's a sense in parachurch means to come alongside the church okay yep so uh and what usually is meant by that it it means it's not specifically a local church it's a ministry of some sort that somehow is supposed to come alongside the church or be alongside the church or it exists separate from the local church but it's there and it's a ministry so um you know, we tend to think of, like you said, your 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 campus experience, campus crusade, navigators, intervarsity, FCA, whatever. Um, yep. But but think of it in, in a couple different terms is what I would want to do. I again, I want to take it and kind of move it away from the connotations that are thrown into it and say this is how I think about it. Okay. So first of all, it's not just a campus ministry. What 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 would be say an outfit that publishes Bibles? that prints Bibles, or uh, a Christian school, or a, even a seminary, or somebody who who publishes Christian music, you know, a Christian music yeah. publisher of sorts. I mean, I think any of those could potentially be this thing that say, oh, it's not a local church, but it's doing ministry. Uh, you right. know, a uh, homeless shelter, right? And so, exactly. so, so it, it's real. These, these ministries exist that in one sense, are not a local church. Now, a local church may have one of those ministries, but often a lot of those ministries practically have their own boards and develop funding for them. I mean, that's just real, right? So Yeah, yeah, so so if you start thinking about this, let's step back. Let's just say in in our general world, um, I know it's been picked up by uh, missions discussions, this terminology terminology called modality-sodality, but that actually... From my understanding, modality, sodality, you could be used in the, um, say, the secular world, the everyday world we live in, apart from the church. Those terms could be used. And a a way to think about that simply would be, think of an MD, a a medical doctor, your family practitioner, who is a generalist, knows a little bit about Mm. lots of stuff and kind of serves everything. And then what do you have? You have, he sends you to what? A specialist. A specialist. Right. And so... In, in my frame, as I'm building this, I would be saying, in a sense, think of parachurch as the MD and the specialist. Like, there's the general practitioner. That's, yeah, your, yeah, yeah. that's your local church, your local pastor. Now, I think it's much bigger than that. I think it's uh, transcendent. I think God calls it into being. I mean, there's something about that I want to get to. It's not just pragmatic. Okay, I don't, I, yep. I, I'm not meaning it in just a pragmatic sense. But I'm just saying, think about this in the frame of a generalist MD, and then you have specialists. And all I'm yep. saying is that I live in a natural world where this goes on all the time, really. Mm-hmm. In a certain, and again, at that point, I'm kind of being pragmatic, but I want to go beyond the pragmatic. And then I want to move, uh, uh, if you will, to, you know, again, to scriptures and then to history, like we I've tried to do the best we can. And if you think about it, let's just think of the Old Testament. Um, you had the local synagogue, Okay, the local priests, the local synagogue. Yep. But then you had these prophets that would be raised up, Amos, Micah, 
Well, they weren't the local synagogue. They weren't the local priests going to the local priest school. They they were right. they were a different entity, and and mm-hmm. indeed they would come speak to the generalists. Mm-hmm. And so there's a track that you could kind of tra- trace here, even say Old Testament, say Judaistic world. Uh, you think of the Judaizers when, once we get to the New Testament, but the, who are these Judaizers? These 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 mm. guys that show up. They're not they're not down there serving at the local synagogue. They're traveling around, and so right. so there is this structure that you see even in a Judaistic world of your localists again, your generalists, and then you had these specialists that went out. You know these, yep, that that was happening, and and you kind of you can kind of see that, and so. Um, you know, even Jesus. I mean, what was Jesus when he called these men to kind of be with him? He was kind of this unique itinerant prophet guy. He didn't he didn't reside in one local synagogue as the local rabbi. No. He's travel. Right. He's out there traveling around. And so when they joined him, there is a real sense in which they already knew of that, if you will, structure. If I could use that word, structure. Mm. I mean that. That was kind of a way they're going to follow this revolutionary. Is is very familiar in a yeah, sense. Yeah, in a sense it was. They're going to follow this revolutionary prophet guy, and they weren't going to just join the local rabbi in one synagogue. They didn't do that. Mm. So there's a sense in which, again, I say a sense, but there is a sense in which that kind of is happening in the natural world around them. You had the, the local rabbi, the local rabbinic school, the local synagogue, and then you have this prophet, this guy that comes and speaks and travels and and has this unique specialist kind of work. Yeah. Right? So it's a structure. And of course, Paul being trained as a uh, Jew would have very much known of that structure. I mean, that. Oh, absolutely. He, you would know, he, he would have known that structure. I think it's fascinating. So then you get, you start moving more and more from Jesus to the book of Acts. And you see this development in the book of Acts. You see, um, and we're going to, I want to come back to that. That's where I want to spend a lot of our time in a little bit sure. here. But I'm just trying to give a survey, a quick survey. Um, I just had some quick notes jotted down to think about this. But so when Paul comes on the scene, primarily Paul, when you think of, you know, the book of Acts and this missionary yep. effort, what's going on there? Um, well, you have, uh, if you will, local assemblies that came out of the synagogue world, right? They were synagogues. And what do you, and synagogues had weekly teaching and they had memorization and they had structure yep. and they had scriptures and they had leaders. Well, Paul just didn't pull this church, we'll call it church planning. When these churches developed, these groups of believers in these communities, it came right out of Judaism. It didn't just, it did. it just didn't come out of a vacuum. You know, it didn't just, boop, right, right. just pop out of the sky. I mean, they already had an organizational structure to some degree in their minds that was just normal. It was just what they did. Yep. And so Paul, uh, as he went out and he, he did... And I want to make a big emphasis about that through our talk, and we'll come back to that. But, I mean, the parachurch was planting churches. That's what it was. That's what Paul did. He went and took the gospel. He was sent by the Holy Spirit. You know, Acts 13, they're praying and fasting, and the Spirit says, set apart these guys to this unique work. And what mm. is this unique work? It's the proclaim the gospel. That's where it fits with evangelism. Let's take this gospel out. And as people responded to the gospel, they set up little communities of believers, i.e. Yep. local churches, i.e. Mm. church planning, okay? So all those terms, <laughs> it's basically you just got this community of believers. And what did Paul leave with them? A lot of times, what's fascinating, he wasn't there very long in many cases. But they had the gospel, right? They had 
uh, the scriptures. They had the Holy Spirit. They had some fundamental teaching, primarily the, the couple of what we think of as ordinance or sacraments, the, uh, baptism and um, communion. Right. And he pretty oh, and he left them with leaders, and he pretty much moved on. Yep. And yep. then they worked out their doctrine. They worked out their practice. They worked out feeding themselves, caring for one another, doing all the things that God calls them to do. But Paul didn't stay around and do all that. That was left. Right. That and was, I mean, yep. and it, it varied between church to church. Sometimes he would stay longer than others. And then, you know, yeah. he would write letters to them. And that's the letters, some of the letters Absolutely. we have in our Bibles today. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, he was and still. And sometimes he would. Sometimes you would send, oh, I'm going to send Titus to you, or I'm going to send Timothy to you, or I'm going to send Excellent. Silas to yep. you, or blah, 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 blah. And yeah, so, so there's a lot of planning and a lot of oh, things yeah. going on, but yeah. He was a strategic thinker. There's no question like oh, that. Oh, yes. So, yeah, don't take what, like, he was there and just gone and life disappeared. No, no, no. There was an engagement. He was still connected to them in lots of ways and ministered yeah. to them. But what I mean is there was a sense in which he was this kind of second structure. He didn't yeah. that continued to move on i mean that was there that's all i'm trying to make a point then you then you begin to see it uh, unfold in the whole church age you uh you know the last two thousand years i mean you go all the way to just think of think of roman catholicism think of the monastic orders okay mm. and then you had the local priests and the local congregations mm-hmm. and the local parish but then you had these monastic mm-hmm. orders that were missional they went and did special projects special things so yep. i my whole point is simply this and we'll get to the more modern ideas of it uh you know say the last hundred years or something but my whole point in just saying this quick summary that's worthy of study on every level if somebody wanted to spend the time to do it is that this this kind of two prong two tracks on a railroad track two tracks has kind of always been there and it's operated and yeah and some of it seems pragmatic for sure but but you see it unfolding in the scriptures you just you you just see these two structures there, if you sit back and look, you go, ah, those are two different structures. Yep. And they're operating a little bit differently. And so um, with that, then I I, I simply would want to say that, like, you know, I I don't have a problem talking about the parachurch going, oh, no, it's just been a real thing. It's always been there and it's not a big deal. Um, The problem gets in, in, like you say, when we use it as a connotation word, meaning we take the word and we put something into it, and sometimes, yeah. and sometimes the application of it. And I would want to then start critiquing that a little bit and talking about that and saying, okay, let, let's think about this, okay? Um, so, uh, as it, you know, Sam, you, you, you are part of uh, this ministry now, Ambassadors for Christ International USA. Right. Okay? It began in Australia back in the 50s and um, uh, spread around the whole world. Uh, there's lots yep. of you know, discussion, lots of, lot to the history and such. But now, you know, you specifically have joined this USA team. And we have AFC guy guys, not USA guys necessarily, but guys all over the world that were associated. Yep. And one of the unique things about AFCI was uh, they would emphasize a term uh, uh, like a fellowship. It was a fellowship of itinerant preachers, teachers, evangelists, proclaimers, mm-hmm. proclaimers really, mm-hmm. who, who focused on revival in the church evangelism through the church and training for the church worldwide. Yep. Yep. And and you'd say, well, what is that? I would say, again, in the term I was using earlier, it's a, it, it was a ministry that wasn't a local church. It was a, a parachurch. Now, there would be guys in my work even that would be nervous about that word, and I understand why, because we, we don't want to... So uh, you'll see in a moment here, 
we don't want to automatically throw it in a hat and say, well, we're meaning the same thing everybody else is meaning. Because we very much see ourselves as the a classic old word would be itinerants. We are, we are yeah. traveling preachers. However, in our uh, starting with our scriptures, we're a very biblical group of guys and women, very serious about it. We absolutely believe that our first line of accountability, every one of us in our ministries, our first line of accountability for, for both doctrine and our ethical personal life is our local church. Yep. Like that's local church is a huge deal. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's the big deal. But then we see ourselves as having a work, a ministry that is beyond just our local church. You see, it's like ministering mm. to churches. Some of our guys preach more in churches every, on revival and awakening and the spiritual life and in in the life of prayer and renewal. And, you know, again, kind yep. of this traveling band. Some of our guys do that. And maybe even more evangelism, more of an evangelistic kind of edgy thrust. Uh, yeah. The training, you, stuff you and I have done when we went to other countries, we're training in evangelism and church planning and then some apologetics. Right. It's all this expansion of the gospel. But then when we come home, our first report almost is to our local church. We, we, yeah. That's who we come to. And that's who, you know, we're deeply grounded. So we as a group, a fellowship, that's why we probably emphasize that word, are very, very committed to the local church and very much part of the local church, and we don't want to separate from that. And yep. and uh, so in that sense, I would say, oh, no, we're a parachurch, but we, we're we operating a certain way. Now, right. with that, we have something else that's kind of developed, and we could kind of get into the history of it, but I, I think we alluded to it in some of the other podcasts on evangelism and the evangelists. Just think of 50s and 60s, and I talked about the movie The Founder, Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a fascinating picture to me. And we already emphasized this before, but, you know, this was Ray Kroc, development of McDonald's. And this was the same time period that some of our campus ministries developed. And in in, in this is where, uh, at least, you know, in modern times, when we think, when people think parachurch, they think of, you know, what's known as crew now. It used to be Campus Crusade. And they think of these campus ministries because a lot of people have had ex- exposure to them. And they think of these as parachurch. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Right. And then I would say what the initial uh, emphasis, uh, particularly Campus Crusade. I know about Campus Crusade. I was involved with Crusade for uh, full time for twelve years. Never on a campus. Worked in the community. Um, I was personally mentored in friendship with Gordon Clank, one of the first that ever came on staff with Campus Crusade. I went to the Campus Crusade Seminary in Southern California after I'd been in ministry for seven or eight years. So I've had a lot of exposure. To the campus yeah. crusade, and then I would say early on, I mean, and it, it's still there, by the way. But uh, but the, but the emphasis was let's take the gospel to the world. It was very much we're evangelists taking the gospel to the world. That's what they yeah. wanted to do. It was wonderful, right? And yep. they they saw the campus as strategic. You know, uh, Bill Bright saw the saw the campus if, as a battleground. Really, he saw it as a battleground. In fact, it's interesting. Like he was very concerned about say communism and socialism and ideas that were saturating our young people on campuses in that day. That was the day that, you know, the great uh, cold war, you know, between mm-hmm. Soviet Union and the U S and, and that was very much part of his burden. And the answer to it was the gospel, you know? So we got to get right. on the campuses and set forward a movement to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, these parachurches began and again, I, I think of it because they developed during this time of the founder I mentioned and the other thing where, 
you know, Ray Kroc came to this conclusion, watch the film and it will tell you, like, we're going to specialize and major in burgers, fries, and shakes. That's what I call it. Like, yeah. Burgers, fries, and shakes. It's like, yeah, it's a great thing. We're going to special. And that's what those ministries did. We're going to specialize on a handful of key truths. And again, we could debate, is that the best way to portray those truths? You know, have a discussion about the four spiritual laws and that. I really don't want to get into all that right now. But the point of it was they wanted to be very efficient and very simple and very straightforward and like burgers, fries, and shakes, and we're going to specialize on these things, right? Mm. And mm. It, and by its nature, both its strength and its weakness, um, some things developed, okay? Yep. And and we could talk about that because you've experienced that personally. But um, right. So early on, nobody, nobody, uh, Bill Bright, Gordon Clay, none of these men would have said that they were they want to be in competition with a local church. They would all affirm the local church. In fact, early on, one of the great influences of Bill Bright came from Hollywood Presbyterian uh, Henry Henrietta Mears. She was, you know, a, a woman leader of Sunday schools and college ministry in the in the local church. I mean, it was always an emphasis there. So that's, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think anybody would say, well, no, we don't believe in the local church. But right. but the issue at hand here is, and this is where we'll get into a little bit of critique, and it's not meant to be negative. It's just, again, to look at it and try to assess what happened. It did kind of take on its own life and become, yep. and become something that has strengths and weaknesses. And... Right, and some of these weaknesses are what people tend to think of parachurch. I don't want to be part of the parachurch, or there's different ideas about the parachurch. Uh, and so I brought up before, um, Sam, you've talked about this, but like, but you think of burgers, fries, and shakes, okay? Yeah. So it's a wonderful thing. You learn these skills. You go with these skills, okay? Now, one of the things you mentioned to me earlier, we kind of laughed, but I said, so if you took a guy that worked at McDonald's for ten years. Right. And uh, yep. he, he learned burgers, fries, shakes, does it really well. I think it's great. Um, he wouldn't then be able to become a chef at a Four Seasons resort just because he's been a cook at McDonald's for 10 years. <laughs> right, right. Right. And you say, oh, that, that's true, isn't it? Well, yeah, that really is true. And I'm, I'm not making light of it. I think it's great for somebody right. to be great at burgers, fries, and shakes, be a manager, develop into that industry and that business and do what you do. It's great. Right. Right. But it's not being a chef. Right. And to be a chef, you would have to have a whole different other developed skill level, abilities, mm-hmm. more diversity. And the problem that we start running into when we go down this road is a couple of things. But the one, the one issue is increasingly we live in a society that's pluralistic. Uh, and right. that, and with, if you don't know that term, it just, just think we, it's a really diverse place. I was telling Sam when I began in ministries, I was almost 30 when I first, first time I ever heard of a, a mosque, I had a doctor and he told me he went to a mosque and I had to go home and look up what a mosque was. <laughs> I'm like, here I'm in ministry, twice. I'm this pretty smart guy. We, we, weren't, we weren't exposed to Islam or mosques or, you know, the sexual revolution where we're at now with it. None of us would have thought some of this was like, Everybody, non-Christians would go, well, some of that's just wrong. I mean, it's a a new world we live in. It's in a pluralistic world with lots and lots of ideas. Right. And there is a place still for burgers, fries, and shakes, but particularly on the campus, with all of its diversity and all its isms and all its ideology, increasingly 
to be effective, and there's lots of people writing and critiquing this, if you really want to minister on a campus, you got to be pretty well-read and smart and in maybe a few other areas than just burgers, fries, and shakes. You're a little more like a chef. Well, yeah. and, and here's here's another way to look at it. Yeah. With, let's just keep the restaurant analogy going is – Today we have all the all these allergies. Oh, you have to be gluten free. Oh, you're dairy free. Or you're you know blah 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 blah. So okay. now it's like restaurants can't just oh yeah I'm serving my regular. Now somebody's gonna come in and go oh do you have that in gluten free? Right. Uh, no. Well, better get that gluten free menu going. So there's just yeah different ways you can look at it. Diversity, sure. The other diversity, thing, yep. And I think the other thing in a, say a pluralistic world relativistic world that we need to be able to contend with, especially if we're going to work on a university, which just takes more training and more equipping. It can't be just burgers, fries, and shakes. It takes a level of yep. development. Um, another thing that goes along with that, and I, I want to come back to the local church here in a minute, but is another thing that's been, uh, um, how do I want to say it, contributed to this. If you said a contributing, converging lines of Evidence would be making a case with a variety of different streams of evidence. In this case, there's some things that have come together to create this milieu or this place you're trying to minister. One is the great diversity in meaning pluralism. Um, yep. But the other one, I actually, and this is the one that sometimes, you, you know, you've heard me speak about this, Sam, and it, it kind of frustrates me sometimes, is because of a growing um, uh, reality that we can't get into fully here. There's this idea that there's no real knowledge in the sense of knowledge, like mm. knowledge that everybody could know. There's no knowledge in the, if I could use the term religious world, it's just, sure. it's just your subjective bias, your ideas, how you feel about things. It's not, yep. it's not real facts. It's not real knowledge. Okay. Yeah, now, yeah. now we would have to have a whole discussion about that, but that has happened. So what happens as you take a young person that, first of all, is, is learning some burgers, fries, and shakes, great, learning some basic skills and some basic fundamental share of the faith ministry, and we'll get to more of the discipleship problem here in a minute. But but first of all, that becomes a little bit, that, that has its place still, but it, but it mm -hmm. becomes more complicated in a pluralistic world where you have people that have a whole lot of other questions than just the basic things you used to talk about. Yep. The second problem is, is if you really don't think there's real knowledge in this, you can think yourself, like in my example, you can think yourself equipped to be a chef when you're not really a chef. Yeah, and exactly. So, so the example I used of that happened just literally in the last couple of years. I think you were the one that brought it up to me, Sam, and then I went and you know read it, looked it up. It was this young woman, uh, oh, yeah, young dear this. woman who went to Uganda. You like the story. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know anything about her, but when you read about it, you think she's probably, I mean, I think of what she actually did. She's probably a really sweet, young serious young woman with conviction in her life for you know yeah you would you would label her as genuinely sincere sincere yeah serious yeah. so yeah. what it was is somehow and all i almost wonder you know in the reading it was the news articles uh i don't know but she sounded like she probably might be a christian but she ended sure. up she ended up in africa some short term something or other and saw this great yep. need i think it was in uganda and saw this, you know, need for women, uh, health care and uh, children, health care and the AIDS epidemic and all these things going on. So she uh, felt led for some reason. Again, I don't know if, if it would be kind of a Christian connotation to that. But she ended up by going to, I think it was Uganda. It was in the news. You guys can look it up. And she uh, developed a clinic there for women and their children. Yep. 
But the, here's, here's the fundamental problem. Um, she was very sincere, loving, I'm sure, tried her best, set up an entire clinic for a number of years, mm. hel helping women and children. But on her watch, you have to kind of give it that way because she was responsible. Yep. yep. Um, I think over 100 children died. And yes. no, no. Again, I would want to be very kind and, and, and fair and say maybe the 100 children would have died anyway. I don't know. I, I, right. I, I literally don't know. But I do know exactly. this. I do know this. Here's the, here's the point of the story. She set up a medical clinic. She was doing things like blood transfusions. That's the, some of the examples they gave her. She had no medical training in it. And so right. clearly there were some things like blood transfusions that were not being done rightly and these children died. As right. a, at least that was a complication to what they already had, if not the actual situation. Yep. And, and so now the government has come back after her. Uh, right. And I don't know exactly where that's in, in the legal proceedings. But the bottom line was this. This is the thing I want, I want you to take from it. This was a young woman with passion, with zeal, maybe even since God's calling me to do this. I don't know that. That didn't come out in the article, but maybe. But she wasn't trained as a medical practitioner. Exactly. And so she, she didn't have real knowledge. Real knowledge is what my point is about these yep. things. Again, zeal, passion, all sorts of things. So this is what you see. You see, uh, particularly, and it, and it goes as they get older too, but particularly a young person who has this great zeal for the Lord and great zeal to share the gospel. And they learn some basic burgers, fries, and shakes, but they get themselves into an environment that burgers, fries, and shakes only get you very, so far, and it's not very far anymore. <laughs> right. And secondly, they there's a sense sometimes they don't realize there's a whole world of knowledge that you could develop in to be able to be really effective in doing this, doing this work. Mm. And so that happens a lot a lot, maybe in local church, but it certainly happens in what we now call the parachurch. And I'm not trying to, you know, I mean, I hope people keep going and keep going to the mission, but we need to recognize this and say, how do we, how do you, what do we do about this? How do we solve this? And then, yeah. and then I think the answer though, Sam, is what you, and I want you to jump in here, is because really what we're talking about, we could talk about training and ministry, but it really, we could use the word discipleship. And further, yeah. further, here would be the issue. If a young person, any person, was deeply tied to the local church, that is the going back to our description, the generalist. The, yeah. The place where you learn doctrine, the place where you learn prayer, the place where you do ministry, the place where you actually minister almost in a sense, I hate to call it the laboratory, but it's the place where you develop your skill in ministry and people in your community can see you and see your skill and and hold you accountable. Yes. And they encourage you and they exhort you and yes. they correct you. Yes. And if that were the system, and then that person said, I want to go out from here in a special work, i.e. parachurch or whatever it is, that isn't just the local church, but it's this unique work. It's that local church then that can be the grounds by which they assess, there's accountability, they train, they equip, they help that person become who they're supposed to be. And then in the truest, yes. in the truest sense, they see the Holy Spirit's hand on that person and they send that person and say, go do the job. Yep. And so, it, again, in, in my textbook, Dreams, I said it, I think, in an earlier podcast too, uh, in a certain way. Even what you're doing up in North Dakota right now, I think is it could be potentially the best way for this all to work. Because you see... What ended up by happening is, is we went on campuses, for, for example, I'm making it very simplistic. I know it's more complex. 
sincere people sharing their faith. They see these people respond to some presentation they make of the gospel. And then they're like, well, what do we do with these people now? And in the true best sense, those people should be engaged with the local church, but it sort of didn't happen. So we need to come up with something out of a right heart that says we need to help these people grow. So then you develop this whole world now that we call follow-up or discipleship. So you have mm-hmm. this person, they share, say, the four spiritual laws or some steps to peace or whatever the little presentation is that does kind of express the gospel. And this person looks like they respond to the gospel. That's another question about response. But it looks like they respond to the gospel in fairness. Well, now we're responsible to do this follow-up discipleship. So now we come up with tools for that. And yeah. what And what you end up with, though, is you end up with a system of a group of people that aren't really connected to the local church. Even though we say we believe in the local church, and we do, they may or may not be really connected to a local body of believers that offers all of these other things that they need. They need to be, to be with older people and younger people and the sacraments or, or ordinances, however you want to look at yes. that. They, they need training. They need biblical equipping. They need the local church. They need the church's accountability. Well, they don't have that. What the, and so what ends up by happening is uh, this other system, this parachurch system, and again, let's focus on the campus a minute, becomes their community. But that, mm-hmm. but that thing is not equipped to do what it needs to do. Right. Right? And so a, right. Cou- so a couple things happen there, if I could just say it. I've watched this. This is more uh, anecdotal, meaning you know I've just observed this. But let's go back 100 years or so. You had on campuses, you had chaplaincies. Chaplaincies. Yep. Chaplain. Chaplains. How do I say it? Chaplaincies? Yeah, chaplaincies. Is that yeah. wrong? Yeah, no, you got it. I just was tongue-tied. Chaplaincies. <laughs> so, so in a sense, in a sense, if you had this university, uh, the Methodist Church, for example, United Methodist, where Methodist would send a Methodist chaplain to be a college chaplain, pastor to the kids that were from these Methodist backgrounds, or a Baptist, or yep. whatever it was, and you had a chaplaincy that would care for the kids. Yep. Well, a couple things happen. First of all, you have these ministries, parachurch ministries, that start with evangelism. And we could go back to our discussion of evangelist versus shepherd, pastor, teacher thing, right? And you find something happening. Like increasingly sometimes what happens is you have, let's say, a young guy or gal that really is about evangelism. They really want to share the gospel with people. But increasingly they have this community that's kind of gathered around them. Some of them who've responded to Christ and in many cases they just came from a church background and they want to be involved with that movement. And it's all good. It's all ministry. It's all. But what ends up happening is it sort of becomes that chaplaincy. That that young person that originally got involved with this ministry to evangelize is finding themselves yep. doing a lot of pastoral care. Caring. Yes. And it, that's increasing too with your generation, from what I understand. All the needs yes. and all the counseling, and yes. and there's a sense, there's a sense in which you, you're not really doing what you originally you wanted to really do, and that was evangelize the lost, get to the unchurched world, and now yes. you're spending your time with Christians, helping them grow and develop. And then if your giftedness is more bent that way, you're going to spend more time doing that anyway. It's kind of what you gravitate towards. Yeah. But then, most people just naturally do. Yeah, and so you do less evangelism and you do more pastoral care. All great ministry, okay? Not just diminishing it, but it's, right. actually, but it's actually what happens. And then you kind of lose your evangelistic edge because you're doing more pastoral things. Well, and again, back to the back to the analogy or back to the illustration with the girl that goes over to Uganda to set up a medical thing. Great. Medical things yep. are awesome. We want people to go over there yeah. and set up clinics. But the problem is something like that 
takes real knowledge and real training. Yeah. And that's the issue that I guess Dan and I are seeing with the Paratridge Ministries is that the yeah, they can they're they're doing the burgers, fries and shakes, they're doing it well, but then you need a, you need more than just a McDonald's burger and a McDonald's shake. You need some other nutrition. And in a sense, the McDonald's doesn't have it's not set up to give you your broccoli and your vitamins and your minerals and your fruits. And right. it's like, and then, you know, again, we can, we're taking the analogy maybe a little bit too far, but you get the point. Yeah. We're trying it's to like make a point. Yeah. Because certainly, yep. certainly the campus ministries would, would want to give their, their staff more training than just the original burger fries shakes. And they do do that. They offer that through a variety of training opportunities. Yeah. So I'm not, we're not dismissing that. Right. But here, here's the point here. Here's how I see the optimally working. What happens if you take you, Sam, you're doing this in North Dakota, but I have to tell you guys here. Okay, so I think of a young guy, a guy here that I, I really love his ministry. He's with a fair church ministry. I won't name it. I won't put him on the spot. I didn't ask him if I knew him, for example. But uh, Kevin is a sharp young guy, and he is as good as anybody I've seen uh, relating relationally with people sort of in a pastoral way he does a very pastoral but, he, but he's always about leading people to the gospel leading people to christ i mean mm -hmm. as far as sharing the gospel that's what he's about but he's part of an organization a system that builds that entire system and he finds himself yep. spending a lot of time on that system raising money for the system developing the system and so yep. I've, I've just told him i said so you're part of this really uh, young it's kind of young and vibrant and it seems like it's going a good direction church plant in our city so what would it yep. lo look like if you were engaged as a staff person with that plant church plant and then they yep. were to send you to the campus to do what you really like to do and that is to engage all these students with the gospel yes and then you don't set up another system you don't have to raise the money for the system you don't have to do right. all that you do what you're good at which i think he's really probably an evangelist hearted guy or at least that that harvest model kind of person yeah, yeah, yeah. Release him to do that. And then as people respond to the gospel, the community they're brought back to is that local church. Exactly. Now, when I say that local church, it doesn't mean the structure on a Wednesday night. It could be in a home, but that home, all those people involved are this church. It's a church. That's where, right. And that's where they would get their discipleship and their accountability and the training and biblical training and all these things. And he wouldn't even, he in that whole system wouldn't have to create a subsequent system that has become come to be known as the parachurch. And I would say, oh, yes. no, he really is doing the parachurch. He has a ministry on the campus evangelistically, but the only structure to call people to is that local church. Yeah. And I I think that's the win-win. And I, I... I think so, too. I think I see it in the Bible. Um, I see it in history, you know. Um, and you're... Go ahead. Right. And here's back back to the thing of, I mean, there's just a lot that's just racing through my mind. Now. I just kind of want to, like, regurgitate it. Well, yeah, you let, you let me talk. You let me gab on in my little lecture for 30 minutes. So you go ahead. There it is. I mean, back to the knowledge thing. If you look at the scriptures, you see that a local church would would identify these missionary evangelistic harvest model type people. Yeah. They would make sure that they're they've been tested, tried, true. These are the we've tested them. They are legit. They're godly people. They have a heart. We're 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 raising up the funds for them so that they, they don't lack anything and then we're gonna send them out. 
Yep. And then they're commissioned by this church to go do this evangelistic ministry, to go plant a church, to go to a new place that hasn't yeah. been reached with the gospel and spread, you know, the knowledge of God, the gospel message. Right. And so what you have today, again, we're, we're talking about what we see on the campuses. And this is my experience, again, because I, I, I mean, I, I was yeah. very involved in, in a, a parachurch ministry uh, when I was a student at uh, North Dakota State University, and then I and then I worked for them for a year full time as a minister. So before I went to AFCI, so this is what I saw, um, especially up where I'm from. I'm in the Midwest, and you have a lot of people, Christianized people that kind of grew up in the Christian culture atmosphere. Maybe went to a church. Often it's either a Catholic church or a Lutheran church. That's just the way it is in in the upper Midwest. It's just a lot of Lutheran, a lot of Catholic. And they get to college, and they're not necessarily, you know, actual legitimate Christians. They just are kind of Christianese a little bit, nominal Christian. Or they're not Christian at all. And you have a very few that are actually legitimate Christians that actually grew up in a legitimate Bible-preaching church where there was real discipleship, where there was real, you know, it was a real church, and they, they got the gospel, they got it down, they know the gospel. Very few of those people that you actually come across on a campus. And so when people get to, and this is this was my personal experience. This is where I would just say my, in a sense, this is kind of my testimony a little bit. Like I grew up a Christian, but going to a church where I don't remember if I ever even heard the gospel. Like I, I could not even remember a time where I heard the gospel clearly, clearly articulated at a church service on a Wednesday night thing, never. I heard the gospel from my mom. And so when I got to college, you could say this campus ministry was my first experience of Christian people. And so it was just like, this is new to me. This is, I've never experienced this before. And it was just, it was very attractive. And it was very like, man, mm-hmm. it's like, in a sense, it, it filled a need that I, I, a desire that I had that I just didn't know. I just had never experienced a real local church yeah. before, in a sense. So you, you tend to, you tend to get that a lot. That happens a lot. Where somebody's experience of this campus ministry, parachurch ministry, is a lot closer you could say to the biblical uh model than what they were coming from and so that in a sense that's not good that just in a sense shows the state of many churches in america today Mm -hmm. they're just not biblical at all they're extremely liberal and they're not even preaching the true gospel yeah so here you go to this place that oh man they're preaching the true gospel oh man there's actually real christians here that like to study the bible and it's just very attractive and so you can tend to just get these people that, well, these these college students that grow up in this, and this is just what's normal, and this just seems right, and and um, and then they get a passion. Obviously, they get a passion for ministry, they get a passion for evangelism, they get a passion for missions. Yeah. But yet they have not yet experienced an actual, legitimate biblical local church. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so then they, they have a passion for ministry. So what do they do? Well, they go on summer mission trips. Uh, they become a student leader. They're leading Bible studies. They're discipling people. They just have all this passion, and, and it's just, oh, man, I just want to do it, do, 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 do. And then, oh, man, I want to do ministry. So what am I going to do? I'm going to intern with this campus ministry. I'm going to join staff with this campus ministry. Yet, they have never yet been a part of a real body local church that's actually biblical and so then they just kind of start this trajectory in this campus ministry, having never really 
experience what is really true. And then they just it just happens. And then now they go. And then now they're on staff. And then they support Ray's. And boom, there it is. And then their theology is shaped by this this ministry. And their their all their relationships with Christians are are in a sense with these the the other people in this ministry. And and uh, in a sense, their their ministry that they're developing, um, in a sense, it's 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 separated from the local church. So. So it kind of takes them away from any ministry that they would be doing in their local church. And that's not necessarily always the case, but in a sense, you just don't have time as a, a minister for one of these campus ministries. You just don't have enough time to really invest in your local church. You just really don't because you're, you're busy on weekday uh, nights. You're, you know, you're, you're leading all these different Bible studies. Oh, man, I'm already uh, leading you know, these Bible studies. I don't have enough time to do a Bible study with my church. And blah, 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 blah. And it goes on. Oh, I'm already discipling this many people for for this campus ministry, these students on a college campus. I don't have enough time to disciple people in my local church. So it just it just kind of takes you away from that. And kind of, I'm I again, I'm kind of going off a little bit. But Dan talked about structures. And the thing is, is that these can, these ministries have very good, like very good structures in the sense of, they have they have administrat- administratively created themselves to be very efficient. Very they work. They're almost like a corporation, so they're very good at bringing new people on and getting them to a place to actually have a career in this and and stay alive. And they give them enough tasks to do where they're able to do ministry, even if they're not necessarily called to vocational ministry. And this is where I see a big a big issue is that. If we go back to the biblical model, they, the the local church would not send out or commission a minis, uh, a missionary unless they knew this person was legit. This person's called to this. This person we have tested them. They have correct doctrine. They they truly know the gospel. They are ready. They have real knowledge. Now we're going to commission them out and send them out. And there is ne- not necessarily this this beautiful structure then that they are able to stay viable in when they go out. They're they're their own boss in a sense. They're being sent out. Whereas in these these campus ministries, there's a be- I, I say that I use the word beautiful, but just a very good structure where somebody who's might maybe not, you know, really called to ministry, uh, who maybe really doesn't have sound doctrine, maybe really doesn't know their Bible well at all. They, there's enough of a structure where they they can actually do this job, in a sense, mm-hmm. and and that gets dangerous because now they're discipling people, now they're teaching people the Bible, and oh man, if you if they don't know theology correct, they could be teaching something <clears throat> wrong or false or spreading mm-hmm. falsity, and 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 that's why the Bible says not many of you should be teachers, because you're accountable. You will you will give an account for how you teach people and what you teach them. Teaching the Bible is a very, a very, very, very big deal, huge deal. That's why we make sure that the people that are teaching us weekly, our pastors, our, our elders, those people that are, have been entrusted to us by, you know, given to us by God to equip us and to make sure that we know the Bible accurately. That's why they usually go through an extensive training. That's why they usually go to seminary. That's mm-hmm. why they usually get training in their original languages. That's why they, they have this training. Because it's a huge responsibility, and if you are found to be teaching false doctrine, I mean, it's it's a huge deal. Jesus says, you know, in the context of little children, he goes, if you lead any one of these little children astray, 
meaning teach them false things. It'd be better that you have a millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown into the sea. That's, that's how big of a deal it is. And that's why I get so hesitant when I see people teaching the Bible with no real knowledge. They haven't been trained. They really don't have an understanding of systematic theology. They really don't know hermeneutical principles. They don't really know how to interpret the Bible correctly. Mm-hmm. And it, it can breed false doctrine. It can breed bad ideas. And it can create a type of Christian that is very secular in a sense. And it can create a type of Christian that really is just... They just haven't yet had this this sound base of of theological doctrine that that allows them to see, uh, you know, where where culture might be leading them astray. And in a sense, they're very these these Christians that come out of these parachurch ministries. Yeah, they are in a sense very worldly in a lot of the ways they think. And what we see today is a lot of these these these. Uh, Christians that young Christians that come out of these parachurch ministries, they're very postmodern, and I use that because that's really the atmosphere that we're that we're breathing. That's the water that we're swimming in. Just in general today in our our Western culture, it's very postmodern yeah. in general, and so you see these young Christians, the way they think is still very postmodern. They're not necessarily thinking biblically. And let me why add- because. Oh, yeah, go. No, been, let, again, I've been talking a lot. No, you've done, you've done a great job because uh, there's a number of things I'm thinking here as people are listening to this. Because I, 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 let me, just, I, I would say it this way, like I've gotten trouble with this conversation before. It makes yeah. me nervous sort of because I don't want hear people to hear what I'm not saying. Have you heard that yeah. term? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Yeah. You've been You've been saying that a lot lately. Uh, I know it because <laughs> I want people to understand what I'm saying, like, these were godly, exactly. godly men that developed these ministries. You, I mean, you've got leaders yep. there that I absolutely esteem as like, I know some of them. I've met them, right? I've been up there speaking yep. and I, I, you know, Pete and others. I mean, I'm really impressed with these men. They're godly men. Yeah. They're doing a godly thing. We're more having a discussion about the inherent reality of this thing. And that's why I wanted to start. Yeah. start. I'm not ready just to say, oh, this parachurch is this illegitimate thing. I don't believe that. I really don't. I think there's this play, yeah. place that it's always played in God's kingdom. Right. And, and I just want to look at it and say, how has this developed given our culture and our time? And what are some things we should be thinking about? And and I want to you know try to be as biblical as we can. And so there's no question I want to reemphasize the reality of the local church, the reality that I believe that's God's number one given structure local organic reality of this group of people young and old who are together immersed together in teaching and accountability in the scriptures and ministry uh, no doubt i want to emphasize that and yep. and i know it's said by parachurch people but inherent in the structure it doesn't happen and i think that there's some things that could be discussed to, to help with that now given what you just said i wanted to ask you a question you're seeing this happen if I hear what you're saying right, and I, it struck me as you're speaking, is part of what's happening is you're taking this young person, and because this, this as you called it, a corporation is such a well-oiled machine, yeah, you can launch somebody into ministry pretty quickly. Very quickly. Because they learn the system. Dangerously si- quickly. Right. That's what I think you're saying, because they can learn the system, and they can do the system. It's so well-oiled. Exactly. 
But the fact is, down the road, serious questions come to the surface and serious difficulties come to the surface. And they've never been tried and true in a local church. They haven't uh, necessarily, you're emphasizing the idea of teaching and doctrine has not been deep and sustaining necessarily. And so you have a person that's been doing, let's go back to our analogy, burgers, fries, and shakes. And they do it well, and they've done it over and over and over and over. But they're really in a world where they need other skills and other thinking and other abilities. And then what ends up by happening is in many cases, they actually become the force for carrying wrong thinking. Yep. And I don't don't think they, I mean, they're still, they're sincere. Like the girl from Uganda, absolutely sincere. I'm not doubting that one bit. Uh, You know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some out there. I mean, you've had. You know, some have walked away from the faith and things that that happens in the local church, too. And so that's all real. But the yep. point the point is, is uh, sincerity. It's more than just sincerity. It, 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 and, exactly. Right. So. So I and would the, like to th- go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we have to I think at least today we have l- forgot how how dangerous ideas are Yeah. like an idea is is a really important thing like the way people think the beliefs that they have about something literally affects the way they act affects everything yeah well and we we've been talking about presuppositions yeah well sam you and i are doing another series together on francis schaefer over on youtube and people should check that out it's conversation but yeah think of you and i are doing this podcast right now here in may of 2020 and yeah, this whole pandemic thing is fascinating on so many levels. I mean, right. I'm not I'm not talking pro con conspiracy anything right now, but the fact of the matter is there's an idea or a storyline out there about this COVID. And yep. and that storyline caught energy, if you want to say it that way. And it created yep. an entire world of concern, of fear, of reaction. I mean Literally, it's hard to comprehend. You almost have to stop and realize the entire world, not just a culture, not just one country, the entire world came to a standstill. The globe, yep, in a a certain sense, came to a standstill, right? Middle of India, people starving because of this thing. And it was a storyline. It was an idea. And now people are critiquing, you know, was the idea fully right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and again, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to weigh into that. I'm just simply saying it's, that's the fascinating thing to me is you literally have this story and an idea and it influenced the entire world. Yes. And you can see how, you know, how somebody could control the world with ideas. Mm-hmm. And it is unbelievable, amazing to me. So... Let me add something else about this. When I when I think of the biblical view of the local church, that I really do believe that was the place that preserved, preserved, carried out the calling of God in the most specific way, and you know, in the way God ordained it. Yep. There's another part of the spirit church. We're, we're talking a little bit because of your experience with campus ministry, and I really wasn't involved with parachurch on campus ministry. I think I said maybe I said that I was. Yeah, you were more in the community. Yep, I was in the more of the community of the parachurch, so my experience was a little bit different. But it was similar in the sense that I would see local churches and I would see what we're doing with the parachurch, and then sometimes our parachurch was in conflict with the local church, and so you know maybe we can talk more about that. But I saw that in my early days, and I didn't you know it took me again a lot of years of thinking about why why is that a conflict, and I see it. 
some of it's similar to what you were saying. Like if you have a guy in the community, he has only so much time. Where is he going to spend his time, you know? Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, there's all of those pragmatic aspects, money and all sorts of stuff. But one of the things that goes with this parachurch that, that's fascinating that I've had discussions with people. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I wish everybody somehow could do that. I don't know if they can. But even we in the U.S. and probably other places, I've seen in other places too, but in the U.S. I can specifically think of groups that would have like a community Bible study. We'll call it a community mm. Bible study. It was meant to be cross denominations. All these Christians mm-hmm. get together and have a Bible study. Well, even that, I, I, I've questioned that even back from my seminary days because I had people uh, 25 years ago that were involved with very popular Bible studies. If I mentioned everybody would say, oh, I know about those. But they would say they would be there in a group of, uh, of men or women in a particular group and those mm-hmm. people would be talking about some biblical thing, and they really weren't talking truthfully. They they, they were doctrine, right. and I don't mean just a debate of you know, reform, Wesley. I mean some things that were just really, really wrong. And yeah, but you could hardly correct it in this parachurch thing because the parachurch thing has to kind of go to the lowest denominator, you know. Yeah, and and so. I think, I think, and I've seen it. I have friends involved with this that aren't involved with like community Bible studies anymore because they've realized it's really hard to do because yeah. we live increasingly in this pluralistic age. I really yes. mean that. Like a lot of different people have different ideas about God, about the scriptures, about Jesus, about truth. It is really a diverse pluralistic group of people. And you put those all in a room and say, we're going to go to the least common denominator and it gets pretty stinking low. And you may not even be biblical anymore. And I don't know how those things get held together in the long haul. Uh, So now I'm just kind of speaking opinion and speculation. It still seems to me that the best thing you can do is is Bible study should be grounded within a local church. That has has a local doctrine. It has local leadership and elders who can correct and make sure that the truth is being held to in that setting. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. I literally, pragmatically, I'm being very practical now. I don't know how you do that on a corporate level in what we call a community Bible study when you have such diversity coming from different directions, leading different things. How are you ever going to hold that thing together? So I have asked people that, and like I said, I probably stepped on toes and I didn't intend to because I know people have been blessed and there's been some wonderful things that have happened out of these things. Just like the earlier we could say parachurch think of all the people in the world who've come to faith in christ you and i sam we you know we got our our, our open door to ministry through through parachurch mm-hmm. through these exactly. you know campus parachurch so i'm not i'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. i i there's god has used these things tremendously i'm just simply uh would like to be even be more effective like i would love to see a whole band of young people who who are influenced with evangelism, but even those young men and women who are more evangelists, like find a place to flourish in the local church settings. And like yep. even AFCI, I have to say I, I, that's one of the things. Uh, we're a small group, really. I mean, we we're, we don't recruit big, big. We're we're not a well-oiled machine. That's probably a weakness that we generally really do have. You've seen that, Sam. We're not like this yep. per- perfect organization structure, but spiritually. Seriously, spiritually, in the in the vehicle for being able to be uh, an evangelist tied to a local church and be able to be free to minister and have a system around me, man, um, I would like to see more of that sort of thing raised up. 
Yeah. It's really yeah. my desire because I see, you know, right. like I mentioned a guy earlier, I, I see these young, let's say a young evangelist guy, and I think, man, would he flourish if we could just unleash him to not do all that other, you know, or, organizational administrative stuff and just set him free to do what he originally wanted to do? Just go on the campus every day, every week, and be as creative as you can be creative and bring the gospel to bear on that campus. Right. I mean, you give me 10, 15, 20 people like that, we don't need huge movements of hundreds and hundreds. You don't need it. You, you no, and here's would, the thing. So yeah, it would be fascinating. That brings up, an, that brings up another critique. Yeah. Just, this, this stuff just naturally happens. So, okay, so Paul compares the local church to a body. Mm-hmm. And we get this in 1 Corinthians, you know, chapter 12. It's just in 13 and 40. It's beautiful. Like, here we have this this organic body made up of individual parts. The spirit is the one that that chooses what you're, part of the body you're going to be. Yeah. It gives you a spiritual gift. Like, it's it's an amazing thing. So some people are hands, some people are eyes, some people are tongues, some people are ears, some people are feet. Right. And, and you're a specific part of the body. And yeah. you are to mature as that part of the body. You're to grow in it, and so that the whole body eventually matures into into manhood, into you know, an actual mature adult, you could say. And th- we see that maturation process in Ephesians four, and how is the church matured? It's matured, you know, by the, by these these leaders given to this body, and it says that these leaders, the uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. They equip the saints for the work of ministry. They mature them into complete manhood and things like that. Yeah. So you're, in a sense, you're each a part of the body. Each person is a part of the hey, body. Hey, could I add? One, could I add one more thing to yeah. that? Your yep. List, yep. List. Acts thirteen has this diversity of leadership. You know, black men, yep. white men, religious, non-religious, fascinating group, and they're praying, and the Holy Spirit tells them to set apart Paul and Barnabas for this specific work. Specific work, and so it's not even they, it's not even them that called it. They they literally have to take their hands off it. The Holy Spirit has told them, "Yeah, you release those guys." Again, specialists, a little specialists. Bit. You release them, and then think about it. When Paul was released, it wasn't like he came back to them and said, "Should I go place A or place B?" It wasn't administrative like that. Now he came back to him no. because it was this sweet fellowship, and it was this loyalty and. Uh, relationship that he had with them. But the fact of the matter is um, God raised him up as a leader to carry on that ministry. In fact, you see this switch there. It starts with Barnabas and Paul, and later it's Paul and Barnabas. The name is even switched in Acts as this almost the yeah. leadership changed. And God yeah. raised him up. Paul's not sitting there every day calling somebody at the local church going, okay, what should I do? No, no. Please understand, he had such a loyalty and such a fellowship with them. They entrusted they trusted him to call the shots. They trusted him because yeah. they knew the spirit had set it up. But the point is, is it was spiritually discerned by a group of leaders in a local church. That's my point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, to add on to that another accent, I think it's Acts 6, right? Here you have this issue. The widows aren't getting fed. Yep. Something's yep. going on. Yep. And then they're like, they go to the apostles. Hey, can you help feed these widows? Help serve them this way. They go yeah. find spirit-filled men. To do this work, but we cannot leave the ministry of the word in prayer. There's a good example. Great example. There's a good yeah. So the, the they understood the reality that we are the type, we are the part of this body. You could say, yeah, where we have been, you know, called by God. The Spirit has manifested in us the gifts that that are we are to preach, teach, 
Yeah. Focus on the the word. We are to teach the word, preach the word, protect the word. We're about the stewardship of the word of God. And we're going to give all our time to that as well as prayer. And these things kind of go hand in hand. Yep. So, yes, the widows do need to be fed. That's a good thing. But there's another part of the body that is that yeah. God has raised up to do that. And do you remember who he raised so th- up? Men full of wisdom. Yep. Good, good with outsiders. The big one there, they were full of the spirit. Think about that. Full yeah. of the spirit to serve tables. <laughs> exactly. Like, and like, that's what's so beautiful. Need, yeah. That's what's so beautiful about the body. Yeah. So here's here's what I'm trying to draw out here. And hopefully you're able to see it. That's how the local church functions. It, it, it should be functioning yeah, that yeah. way. And, and often you do it. And it doesn't always. Sometimes it blows it. It doesn't always. Yeah. Obviously right. there's issues. Right. But right. that's the that's the beautiful picture. Now, a parachurch ministry, again, kind of back to a generalist type structure is, and this is my experience, and I'm pretty sure it's pretty accurate, is that we do not spend time, or the people within the, the, the parachurch leadership, do not, they do not spend time identifying giftings or identifying the, the part of the body that someone is. It's just, here is what you got to do. You got to lead a community group. You got to disciple this amount of students. You got to do this amount of evangelism. You got to plan these certain retreats. You got to do this administrative work on this day. You got to, we'll give you a couple speaking opportunities. And then you got to lead the summer mission, you know, in the summer. So you have all these different things that you have to do a part of this job. Mm-hmm. And all these, all these different things, in a sense, are, you could say, are different parts of the body. Like there's people right. legitimately with the spiritual gift of administration. We see that in the list in First Corinthians. Like yeah. there literally is an administrative gift. Yeah. And now you're making everybody just generally do this amount of administration, this amount of spe- preaching, this amount of evangelism, this amount of discipleship, this amount of you know exhortation and yeah. service. And so you're what you're doing is you're spreading people thin across all these different things and. Unfortunately, if there truly are a Christian, which, you know, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that these these people in these parachurch ministries are truly regenerated Christians with the Holy Spirit, they actually are only one part of the body. And now you're making a hand do the ear's job and the foot's job and the eye's job. And what does it create? It creates this, like, chaos in a sense. It It almost makes you feel dread. Like, oh, man, I dread the days that I have to do administration. I dread the days that I have to plan for this this event or plan out or create an itinerary well, for this event. S- Sam, I think I think it was you or somebody in your circles that I met, you know, one of the guys you Brandon or somebody you associate with, I don't know, was, was talking about somebody even giving their like like you guys were chomping at the bit. You're you're preachers. That's why it, you know you It's joined. me. I I yeah, yeah I told you. I could tell yeah, the story. I mean you you're dying to preach and and, and it can seem like oh. well that's arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. It's what you were called to. That's why you're just dying to do it. But you had people that dreaded giving their monthly talk exactly. or whatever. That, that, so I started <laughs> to see this. Like again, I'm telling you a little bit about into my own personal little testimony here. I grew sure. up in a church very liberal, didn't hear the gospel, didn't help me a bit. I can't I can't take one thing that I learned from the the church that I grew up in. Now I get to campus, I get to college, I'm experiencing this this campus ministry. Oh, these yeah. things are kind of cool. I'm actually interacting with it was great. And I actually heard the true gospel. So there's yeah. a lot of great stuff about and, it. And it ministered to you. And it ministered to me. Clearly. Exactly. Yep. So yep. there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah. And now I'm working and now I'm working with them. Now I'm in full time ministry. I'm fresh out of college. I, f- I have already felt this call to a lifetime of ministry. And so I mean I come at a f- you know, I'm a handful of years later now. I'm looking back now and saying, yes, the call was legitimate. I really do 
truly believe I'm truly called to a lifetime of full-time ministry. Like I'm, you could say I'm one of the ones that was in it that was truly called to ministry. So there's a sense that I, I have this viability in it that some that might have not be truly called don't have. But nonetheless, so here, me looking back, what do I know? I know that now I know that I'm, I'm a guy, whatever part of the body is, I'm a guy that's the preacher and teacher of the word of God, the guy that should be given his you know, time to the, the ministry of the word. I need to focus on the word and prayer. That's the type of guy that I am. Yep. And that's, it's not my doing. It's not my choice. It's the spirit's yeah. choice. Yeah. Obviously. So here I am not knowing this yet, but feeling these intense desires. I mean, I would fall asleep at night just imagining myself preaching. I just couldn't help myself. I just, oh man, yeah. I just needed to preach, needed it. And yet I'm in this system where, no, you got to do all these other things too. And we're yeah. only going to give you, you know, two chances in a whole year to preach. Yeah. Oh man, I was looking forward to those chances. And which is interesting because back to scripture, Paul tells Timothy, hey, you need to exercise this gift that you've been given. Fan it into flame. Exercise it. Do it so everybody can see your progress in it as well. Yeah. So in a sense... A workman approved, huh? A workman approved. Yeah, a workman yeah. approved. So there's a sense where this structure is hindering me, my, yeah. in a sense, my, my fulfillment <clears throat> of, that, of that encouragement. And again, it just happens to be that I... That I identify with Timothy much more than many people reading the, the you know yeah, the book of First right. and Second Timothy because it in a sense we have a similar calling, yeah, and a similar gifting. So I really feel like oh man, I need to exercise this gift of preaching. I need people, men, older men around me who can exhort me in this and teach me and train me in it and yeah. encourage me in it and and help me in this. And I'm just like I'm not getting these opportunities, which makes sense because yeah. we See, we have to all do our part. Yeah, and I ju- I just chuckle because that's you know you get. Of course, you know this, but your listeners might not know. But you get around the AFCI guys, you know, Wallace yeah. Francis, uh, Al Whittinghill, Stan, Jay. I mean, yep. that's what we are. We're all, to oh, one man. degree, and then we're going to find a way of preaching, yes, proclaiming the truth somehow, some way. It's what we all do. Yep. It's, it's the cutting edge of what we are. And what we're not is we're not this well-oiled machine of administration. We're not administratively gifted. Oh, my goodness. It's almost horrible. Horrible. It's almost laughable. No, no, no. We have a system that obviously has sustained a handful of us and it's worked. So I don't want to underestimate. <laughs> we have some wonderful gals and, you know, there's, there's yep. system, there's structure there. Don't misunderstand. But it is definitely not our strength. Definitely not. Right. And and so we laugh, you know, we can laugh as insiders right. again, loyal loyalists, just laugh at ourselves a little bit. But right. to your point, on the other hand, you look at some of the uh, parachurch current campus systems, and man, they are a well-oiled administrative machine, man. Well, that's the thing. They're and, amazing. And this is the, this is what happens, though. This is the this is the mm. so <laughs> all these problems. All these critiques, and I, I hate to be like this, but it's just it's just observations you make. Who are the people that have been called to be the leadership of the local church, of the body? These apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, yep. the people that are people of the word. They're spiritual people. They're people who have who their whole life is about the word of God, teaching it. Yeah. They're the the people who lead aren't the administrative people. Right. The the administrative people serve these these 
word type people leadership. Yeah. But what happens in a or, in well-oiled machine is that it's so well-oiled. Why is it so well-oiled? Well because inevitably it's the administrative people that are becoming the hierarchy or, the, or they're yeah. the high, highest up on the leadership. So, you've obs- so, then so you're 24 and yeah. a handful of years of ministry. You have, you have observed this. I've absolutely observed well, this. See, I'm just kind of like, I've, well, I've seen it my whole life. I've thought... I've, yeah, because there's I, this, I absolutely another see it. another natural principle is like attracts like. So, if your leader is an administrative, say pastoral administrative person, let's say administrative, they're going to attract administrative people. That's that's yep. very natural. So what ends up by happening is who gets promoted or recruited or promoted within a system? It's the same thing that so increasingly, if you have managerial administrative people at the top, they're going to draw up managerial administrative people. And well, and he, and, yep. And here's another reason. <laughs> this is this, and this is just makes so much sense. Is that yeah. what does the okay? If you get promoted within these these parachurch ministries, you yeah. get promoted with them. What happens to your daily tasks, your job? It it becomes naturally more administrative so now you're doing meetings now you're talking about all this stuff yeah just administrative stuff that's literally what your job is as you get promoted up yeah it's a very administrative role so the guy that knows he's not an administrator the guy who knows that he's the preacher and the teacher and the evangelist i need to be i need to be actually with you know these non-believers sharing the gospel i need to be the guy that's in the word studying and then explaining it to people and teaching them how to apply it to their lives he's not going to take that position he knows no i would be miserable in that i'm not going to do that because I would have to be traveling around, getting on jets and planes and having business calls and meetings and setting up policies and, you know, doing expense reports and blah, 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 whatever it is. Now, there and is probably, the, there is the unique guy, unique guy or gal that could do both maybe, you know. But that Yeah, be, very unique. And usually those are the people that started the ministry itself. Yeah, they had the abilities. <laughs> yeah, and they, but not yeah. many of us can do that. I mean, I'm that, that's right. funny. It's just interesting podcast is fun because we get to have these just organic kind of conversations i remember early in ministry sam uh not early in ministry uh, i'd been in ministry a number of years then I, I i left you know um campus crusade and i began to work with afci that it was just a better fit for me because it's yep. we're, we're preachers we're yep. proclaimers yep and, and um this is you know god you know orchestrated that and allowed it and it's all good and i continued to have a good relationship with 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 what's now known as crew and that's all fine but the point in that it was funny i remember one point um another friend of mine who was with with a a campus parachurch ministry so i was with afci and i think i was i don't know i was reading or studying i spent a few days in the word and studying and and he even asked me he said like you spend a whole day like or you know half a day reading and studying you know xyz thing well yeah that's my job you know that's part of what i do yeah like yeah. you, do, you can actually just spend time doing that. He was shocked because he was so used, you know, he yep. 20, 25 years or 20 years in this, the, in a ministry that call it the burger fries and shakes, did it really well. It was yep. the administration and he couldn't fathom like part of my job was literally not just to take a day a week, like sometimes parachurch ministries do as part of the function, but like, like organically a yeah. lot, my life is, no, I'm spending time studying xyz issue opening up the scriptures to it i'm going to go speak at you know a handful of churches and at a couple of conferences about these issues and i mean that's what i did yeah. it's and it yeah. goes back to what you're saying 
uh, in Acts chapter 6. I mean, these guys were going, oh, no, we, we fully get that there has to be stuff going on, feeding the widows, caring for the people, fully embrace it. But we've got to make sure we devote ourselves yep. to prayer and preaching of the word, right? And so, right. so, I mean, I just feel like this deeply blessed man in my life that I've had supporters and people who believed yep. in this part of my life because... Every day I'm out there with people generally, in all fairness. Yeah. I do do a lot of that. I do this a lot of the same right. stuff. And, and I go and I preach and teach places. But the reason I'm able to do that is because I have an office here that I can close the door and really, in a real sense, spend hours uh, thinking about exactly. and studying. And that's why you wanted to interview me about this stuff. Because I really have been, you know, again, I, I feel weird. I, yeah. I don't write books about it and all that sort of thing. But I've been thinking and, you know, ruminating, if you want to call it that, uh, on these issues of evangelism, local church, all this stuff, for a lot of years. I've, and I've yeah. read a lot, and I've thought about it a lot. It doesn't mean I'm writing all my conclusions, but, um, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> that's, exactly. part of, that's part of my, my calling. <laughs> right. And so then, and then, so you're, you're the one that helped me see this, but then what do you, what do you have? Um you have a guy like me or a guy like you who started in these ministries. Yeah. We feel this overwhelming urge, man, I'm I am the guy who's the preacher. It's yeah. I feel it, it's there, I want it, and people yeah. are affirming me in it, man. And what happens is they just just because this is the structure of this, let's just say crew, this is the structure. Sorry, you you're an you're employed by them. You got to stay in yeah. the structure. You got you can't just be a rogue and go do what you want to do. Right. So what does it mean? Well, we we have to leave. We have to leave the ministry because we're not able to fulfill our ministry in that system. Right. Can and I st- can I, I stop you there? I want you to keep going. But yeah. Two things, fat, real quick. One is. Yep. Sometimes you are seen as a rogue, which bothers me a little bit. Yep. Even when you said rogue. That sort of bothers me. On the other hand, on the other hand, you can understand it would be true of any kind of business or life if if you're designed to do X Y Z thing and this person increasingly doesn't fit what you're trying to accomplish. It's yeah. prob- it probably is best for them to leave. Exactly. And I, and I think that should be affirmed. I think I, from what you told me, your director really kind of affirmed that with you. From what I understand, when you told me, like yep. he could see you as. Yep. Yeah, there, you need to go a different direction, and I, I, I yeah. just want to say that for those listening, like, yep. no, I think there's nothing yep. wrong with going. Hey, guy, you're you're not wired like like us. I mean, certain people are wired to do this job. God clearly yep. has wired you to do something else. You you need to go do that, and and doing that doesn't make you a rogue, is what I want to say. <laughs> yep. It, yep. It, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means you're actually following right, right. God's call. So right. And and the thing that I just want to. Sh- explain to people is that there there aren't there aren't the people that i mean everybody has their unique package you could say again there's a whole discussion on spiritual gifts what are you know which yeah. ones you, do you have one do you have many do you have something unique yeah. like what's going on and i just want to i just want to say generally you probably have a, a, a unique package yeah i call that sense. by the way i call that giftedness giftedness yeah giftedness that's why you have no includes talent yeah you Training includes these spiritual empowered things that God hands you. And Even your be, upbringing. Yep, that's what I mean. It all fits like, together. It all fits together. Yep, yep. all fits together into to for you to do what God has predetermined for you to do. You know, yep. we see in Ephesians two ten yep. that He predestined good works for you. Hey, you know like who's you have who, to me who the great example of that is is Paul. Who? Paul. Exactly. I mean, he was already exactly. as a, zeal, a zealous personality. The guy had to be tough. Yep. 
probably yep. pro- probably very you know i mean he matured and all that but early on probably pretty rough probably you know pretty mouthy or whatever you want to call yep. that kind of guy that's his personality built right into him he was yep. trained by the best minds in judaism if you will some of the best yep. jewish schools at the same time new greek thought same yep. time roman citizenship right roman citizenship yep he was a, a zealot you know he was going to go yep. stop anybody that got in the way of the truth Yep, and that was all before he knew Christ. Exactly. That's what's fascinating. Then he comes to know oh, Christ. Yeah. God takes all that. It was all. Oh, already, I, just, I was already all laid then, out. <laughs> and Paul even he even admits I can't remember where in one of his books, one of his letters he wrote, just like like these things were all predetermined. This was all yep. prepared beforehand by God. All yep. these things that I'm doing it is God's design. Yep. And so that's true. That's true for every Christian. Yep. And so we got to realize that. If you have this general structure, this general matrix is the word, a nice word to think about it too. Nobody's going to perfectly fit into that. Really. I mean, in a sense, some people fit it more than others, depending yeah. on their upbringing, depending on their talents, depending yeah. on their skills, depending on yeah. their spiritual gift, their spiritual gifts. But nobody really fits into it. And so it's, I mean, that's why you see you see some people who are able to stay viable in this ministry for their whole life. They're able to have a career in a in a campus ministry like crew, and they're probably a person that their 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 giftings giftedness fits yeah. it, the matrix more than others. Yeah, but that's why you also see a lot of turnover too. People yep. are in it for a year or two, and I mean, maybe that's the nice thing of why they have such thing as an internship, a one year commitment, where you really do see is this something I could be viable in. And I mean, I it only took me one year to see that I wasn't. Um, but and then you have the people that they just stay in it anyway. It's all they know, mm-hmm. and in a sense, they're somewhat unhealthy, and they get they're very stressed, and they're just it's just not. You can just tell, man. I just don't know if you should be doing this job. Right. But they stay in it, and so it's just. That's the thing. It's 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 not the local church. It's supposed to come alongside the local church. But if it really wants to be healthy, and in a sense, it needs to be the local church, but it's not. And right again, it creates this issue. It creates this issue. So yeah, I mean, yep, yeah. Yep. And so, <laughs> so to me, to, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think oh. you, you got the great marriage going on in um, in my mind. It'll be interesting to see it play itself out, but. Up in North Dakota right now, so Cody Weckerly, yep, seminary trained, highly esteemed, esteems biblical teaching and right yep. thinking, and is planning yep. planning a church there in Castleton, North Dakota, just yep. a few miles west of Fargo. Yep, and and then you are deeply connected to that church plant, Re- really one of, one of the leaders on the front end. Yep. Really, you know, young guy. Yeah. Young, oh, yeah. I've been there. Young, yeah. You're Timothy. Part, part of it it's, from the beginning. It's all good. You're Timothy, but you're released by them not only to minister in in that in their midst, which you are. You preach there. You speak there. You're engaged with a lot of the discussion. Meet Cody every week, but then you're yep. released during the week. You go to the campus and you get a chance to work with crew or other even campus ministries, uh, doing evangelism, doing training. All the while, your number one doctrinal accountability, ethical accountability, and all those things truly come from Cody and that local church. Yes. And then yes. secondarily. Even, even this podcast. Yep. And then secondarily, secondarily then, you have in fellowship with us guys with AFCI, and we play a certain 
role of, of a uh, say some accountability. I mean, the best we can, but we yeah. we look to your local church for that really for you know yeah. for unfront personal stuff. But you have a financial accountability and a mentor relationship fellowship with the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, it's guys. almost like a, a Kingsman type thing. Here yeah. we. It's a yep. fellowship of guys that think the same, that are gifted yep. in the same way, and it's like, yep. oh man, you guys, we right. can understand each other on a level that a yep. lot of people can't. Right, and that's so. It's just this beautiful. I think. Yeah. I, I think it's a great uh, picture. Part of the reason I want to do these yep. podcasts with you, I hope, uh, I hope more people see it. Either just go develop it. They want to talk to us. Talk to us. I mean, I. Uh, this isn't a recruiting thing by any means. I we don't really recruit anybody, but. My suspicion is there's people out there listening to us right now that resonate with what we're talking about, and we would want to help you facilitate that. Yeah, Not yeah, absolutely. We don't, have, we don't have we don't have anything to hand you but friendship. But I mean, meaning there's right. no there's no money, there's no magic book. It's just yep. But we are a group of fellowship of men and women who believe this. Yeah. Yep. So, I w- one one more thing I want to say, yeah. um, and then we can decide if we want to do a part two on this discussion or not. And, uh, is, I mean, Dan, you brought it up earlier. Is this, this reality that, okay, you, you're, let's say a campus minister, you're doing this work yeah, and you, you inevitably, because what you really, your job is about spreading the gospel. It's you're, you're a Christian minister. You inevitably come up against some real theological questions and theological issues and, and doctrinal things. As you, sh- as is inevitable, like, man, you're talking about the Bible, you're leading Bible studies. We're supposed to, I mean, here's the job of the pastor in the, you know, the, the pastor, the local preacher of the word in the local church. His biblical mandate is to preach the whole counsel of God. Yeah. To take this Bible, to take the word, to take a text, to discover the, the intended meaning, the meaning in this text that God has inspired into it, the true meaning explain it to his congregation and then tell them this is how you apply it to your life. Mm-hmm. He's, and he's, and he's to do this with authority as one raised up by God to do this. This is what this Bible means. Mm-hmm. This is what this text means. And this is how you should apply it to your life. It's very authoritative. It's very, uh, decent in a sense. Um, one of my, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. Um, decisive, right? Indecisive, decisive? Yeah. Decisive, I should say. Here's what it means. Yeah. Um, and certainly there's parts of the, the scriptures that are so, somehow hard to interpret, but he's coming at it like, no, this is what it says, and this is the doctrine that it teaches, and this is yeah. we need to believe this, and we need to let it change our lives. Yeah, where it's clear, so, we're clear. Where it's clear and authoritative, right. we're clear and authoritative, sure. Yeah. Yep, and that yeah. that's why th- this guy, that it's actually a hard thing to do, and that's why he's to give his whole life to it. To yeah. be in the study, like Dan said, for a whole day studying a passage. Yeah. Preparing just to go preach it for 30 minutes so he yeah. knows that what he's giving these people is actually true. It's actually the word of God. This is actually right. Yeah. I'm not just giving you false things. Yeah. And if I am, I'm I'm accountable before a holy God, and that's a scary thing. Yeah. So you have these campus ministers inevitably coming up against these theological questions, these doctrinal questions. But then you have... So then what what do you do? What does a, a giant system do to help accommodate this? Well, they hire people called theological developers. And this is a real position. At least in crew it is. There's real people that are theological developers. Um, and 
like to to give them the benefit of the doubt, many of them I think, at least one of them I know is actually seminary trained. He has his his you know masters in in theology, like yeah, legitimate yeah. training. But what I've noticed, and this is again just my own observations, so just I guess take it with a grain of salt in a, a bit. But it's my own observations is that they're they're interpreting s- scripture and they're developing theological structures for this campus ministry in a sense according to their their broader agenda, according mm-hmm. to what they have decided is their mission. So it's not necessarily totally accurate in a sense. And when you're, what I see is when you're, when all of your theological development is is constrained in uh in the parachurch ministry, mm-hmm. you can you can get malnourished in a certain way. You can be missing certain important theological aspects of the Bible that are that you would get in the local church in a sense. And the way I like to kind of flip Dan's analogy on McDonald's burgers, fries and shakes is you wouldn't expect the, the, the McDonald's cook to be able to go cook in the four seasons or, you know, a Michelin star restaurant. Likewise, you wouldn't be sending your kids to go eat at McDonald's every day to get their, their nutrition. And obviously we know that if you do eat at McDonald's every day, in a sense, you kind of get overweight. It's kind of unhealthy. So, there's a real sense that if you're getting all your theology from the parachurch, let's say what I'm I'm talking about, like you know our, today's parachurch ministries, crew, university, all that stuff, there is a reality that you're probably going to end up being malnourished. malnourished. Mm-hmm. And part of that too is because they're they <clears throat> often try to keep themselves interdenominational, so they're mm-hmm. not taking stances on certain other things. Yeah. Um, and and that's just because they're evangelistic and they want to try to re- be attractive to the most amount of people coming into you know whether a, a student is coming in as a Methodist or a Baptist or a Catholic or a Lutheran they're like oh man we're interdenominational so all are welcome, but that inevitably means they don't take stances on certain doctrines that those denominations would take stances on, right. and be very convicted about. Yeah. So you have these theological developers just naturally uh, developing you know, Bible studies and, 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 you know, follow-up material and, and, and discipleship material and all this stuff through a certain agenda, through a certain interdenominational presupposition in a sense. Sure. And so, and so it just kind of gets a little bit dangerous. It's like, if this is all you're getting fed by, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be malnourished. And that's, again, my own observation. I'm not saying this with a, a closed fist. Yeah. But it's what I've seen. Yeah. It's what I've seen. <clears throat> yeah, I, and, could see, I could see that. It's sort of what I was saying earlier about, again, I was trying to use it as an example, the community, community, when I say community, interdenominational Bible study. Yeah, exactly. Like I, again, I could, I could see, say 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when a large group of people were more on the same page. You know, we had, but there's just, there's yep. just sort of seems there was. I mean, you it's had even just a, a very shared ethic. Yeah, shared ethic. Uh, that's a great example. A shared ethic. Uh, uh, that's really changed. If you get out there with yeah, people, which, which my life is really spent, I would speak for my laboratory again of life. I talk to a, a lot of people. I got 800 contacts yep. in my phone. I talk to a lot of people. And when I get out there, I realize all the v- variety of views that people have. And some of them are very questionable, like, you know, we're talking in other settings and stuff that you start going, wait a minute, this this doesn't come from Christianity. And right. 
And where's the correction of that going to come? And so when you think of a community Bible study and you watch things happen and you watch the kind of things that are told and said, right? Uh, it's easy to say, well, we're just going to, uh, you know, we're our authority, we're going to surround ourselves with the Bible. Well, I believe in the authority of Scripture, absolutely. But that means we interpret Scripture accurately and properly. Yep. And, yep. and a lot of people take stuff and do what they want with it, and, um, or they're just sloppy with it. And there's yep. a lot of ideas. So, so yeah, I, I still think that, you know, even Bible study, I think, I think churches should initiate Bible studies in their neighborhoods and communities based out of their churches, based underneath elders with a, their given doctrine and their given confessions yep. and creeds and say, this is who we are, this is what we teach. Um, I'd rather know that. I'd rather be in a place, even if even if I'm not sure about a couple of doctrines that I'm not sure about yet. You know, I'm still working through, thinking through. You know, some something maybe more reform or Wesleyan, like I said earlier, or covenantal or whatever it may be. I mean, obviously, I I, I have my own persuasions that yeah. I preach and teach, but I appreciate being in a room saying this is where we're coming from and how we teach us, and it's very clear and it's not it doesn't muddy water. You know. Uh, I just don't right. know how you. I don't know how you do that as things get so pluralistic. I really don't right. know how you do it. I just right. And so here's another complication. Just that's kind of a, a facet of this this yeah. theological issue. Is I mean I'm I'm reading in out of First Timothy chapter one, and Paul's writing to Timothy, as a, and he goes as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Not to devote themselves to myths, to endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain yeah. persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers. This is so fascinating. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what yeah. they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Oh, yeah. And you and, notice, and this is yep. Go, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was just going to say. So here's the issue: is say, you know, let's just say you have a campus minister. He's part of a local church, inevitably. Like, I mean, that that's one thing they do. Do they like you? Got to be a part of a local church. You got to be a member of a local church. Okay, he's a member of a local church. She's a member of a local church. Whatever. Now, let's just say this person is teaching bad doctrine on the campus under the banner of their of their of their campus ministry. Let's say under the banner of crew. Now, let's just say the church, let's say Timothy in this, let's say Timothy is the elder of your church or the pastor of your church, and here you have Paul saying, uh, you know, stay at this church and urge people not to teach any different doctrine. So let's just say you, you, see, you've, you see this person teaching bad doctrine on the college campus, and now you say, you can't teach that. That is bad doctrine. That is not sound doctrine. You mm-hmm. cannot teach that. What? Oh, okay. Well, you're not my crew supervisor. Your crew has allowed me to teach this type of doctrine. What? Uh, nothing's gonna happen. We, you know, it's and, cra- crazy. We heard that recently, didn't we? Out of a uh, yep, out of a staff conference that was talking about social justice to say, well, if you can't do it with your local church, you go over here and do it, and just. D- disregard your local church it was very interesting yeah i was i was yeah. just amazed somebody said that i was like wow they're saying basically if you come to a conclusion and it disagrees with your 
line of accountability and authority, just step aside from them and go do what you're going to do. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. So even that, though, Sam, you, you, that begs a bunch of questions that are in other discussions. But when you say part of a local church, see, I think that's part of the and I understand it. I mean, I, you know, I was there in my early days trying to figure this out, too. So. But, you know, if you went to the average, I'm not going to say even crew, just campus minister person. And they said, oh, I'm part of the local church. And you were to go to them and say, well, who are the who are your elders in your church? Yeah. How many times this last year have you met with your elders? How many times have you had conversations with them about doctrine? You might be surprised that being part, in your words, your vernacular, part of the local church and being really yep. like uh, accountable to the local church are two different worlds. You know, they're yep. and and it, part of that part of that falls on the responsibility of the local church too. But I think what we're doing here, what we began with, and I'm sure we've went a long time here, but. Um, is starting all in the beginning, I wanted to say there is this natural structure in the world. We see it in ecclesiastical bodies from Judaism yep. to the early church to the monastic Roman Catholic kind of world as we think of it, medieval church. Uh, yep. and, and then right up to our current day, and I'm not ready to throw it out and go, oh, it's this terrible thing. I don't think it's a terrible thing. I just would like to rethink it. And, right. um, and, 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 and obviously, I hope people are picking up that. You know, and what you've come to too, Sam, and what I hold to is that I think the local church needs to be my main, uh, my main line of, of thinking, of doctrine, of, of moral character. And the other thing that you're bringing up when you're reading Timothy, how, how are you ever going to apply discipline apart exactly. from the local church? I mean, truly in the best sense. And, and notice what it said right in the middle of all that. What Paul is saying in all of this is out of love and a pure heart. Exactly. See, the very this very conversation, this is where it's been, again, I, you know, I've, I've felt hurt in having these conversations, and, and I would just own up to my own, maybe I didn't convey it rightly. It's out of love and a pure heart. I mean, I want the gospel to go forward. I want people to flourish. I want God to be glorified. I want the church to be glorified. And so, as a guy in life who's just, has lived in certain worlds and certain places, I'd say, you know, I think there might be a better way we could think about this. And, yep. I, and I would honestly say, to the best I know, I would say it's out of love and a pure heart, you know, whether, yep. and, and that's what Paul was saying. And so, <clears throat> right down to discipline, you think of discipline and the best, you know, again, we don't even like to talk about that. Local churches don't even always apply that. And you've, right. ha and you've had that, right? You've had that. Uh, I mean, we've all had it, but you've had that where you've had young people involved in your ministry. Maybe they didn't even know Christ. I don't know. I mean, you told me yeah. about these popular guys now that have some talk show or something on YouTube. They used to be with a campus ministry on staff, yep. and they're claiming to be atheists today. And yep. I, who knows they're, where? Yep. And and you're talking about the deconstruction now of Christianity and deconstruction of the church and deconstruction yeah. of our faith. And now, now that happens out of local, that happens out of local church too. Obviously, right? It's yeah, always happened. Yeah. It's happened since the beginning. But my point is is that you don't have a system with this well-oiled machine that even is equipped to really vet that and figure that out ahead of time and uh, ordain right. or think of ordination in the best sense of ordination. Again, it can be misconstrued, but ordination is really a vetting going, no, we are a group of people who've got to know Sam Parada and we think yep. he really does have this calling and we have seen him really be faithful and we have been really intimately involved with his life. And right. we think he is ordained by God providentially in his life to carry out this work, and we want to affirm it. Now, man, that is a, that is a wonderful, powerful thing. 
it's and a necessary it, thing. Yeah, necessary. And it's the way it's supposed to operate. And so, yep. So with that, I would just you know coming back full circle. I think I hope these are just some thoughts for people to have. I think those who actually have it, I would say, some who may benefit the most out of this are those who would literally have a calling from yep. God into full time proclamation of the word in the world, and um, in part saying, hey, you know, it's there's lots and lots of other ways to think about this, and yep, and some important considerations to to navigate this ground. And let's raise up a whole band and army of evangelists working in local churches is what I dream of. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's so much more to talk about, but I think we've... Yep. Exhausted it I know, today. Get, I'm exhausted. For today, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. We've exhausted our own personal energy reserves for yeah. today, but I'm sure yeah. we'll have new energy tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, wrap this one up. So thanks for listening to this episode. Ho hopefully you made it all the way through to the end. <laughs> but uh, I mean, again, I think this is an important discussion to have. Uh, you don't really hear many people talking about it. At least I don't. Uh, I, I hear it, me and Dan talking about it. But that's about the only conversations I have about this type of dynamic between the parachurch and the local church. And it's an important thing, important discussion to have. So I hope you uh, have been... Uh, I know, learn something from our discussion, and if you have indeed learned something, I, I encourage you to share this podcast episode with somebody else, with a friend. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting us. So, bye.